Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to the Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 podcast series. My name is Stuart Wright and regular listeners will know I've been the host of Britflix podcast since 2013. For new listeners who came in for the Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 content, I've been a resident of Leighton for over 20 years and I'm proud to be part of a film festival happening right on my doorstep in East London, UK. Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 is a free four-day film festival and really has something for everyone of all ages who can make it to the birthplace of one of cinema's greats, Alfred Hitchcock. It runs from Wednesday 15th September to Sunday 19th September in outdoor and indoor venues along the Leightonstone High Road and across town. There'll be open-air film screenings in Langthorne Park and indoor events in Leightonstone Library, St John's Church, Phillybrook, Heathcote and Star, Nexus Centre, online and more. As well as films, there'll be talks, installations, trails and workshops. The Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 podcast series will be 10 podcasts in total. Nine are released on Friday, 3rd of September. Each of those podcasts feature three or four preview interviews with the filmmakers and or film organisations taking part in the four-day event. A 10th podcast will be released late September look back on highlights from Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021. The show notes include the names of the guests and organisations featured in this episode, links to the main Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 website, as well as links to specific parts of the programme that feature in this episode. That includes the what, the where and the when. It just needs me to say, on with the interviews and enjoy this episode of the Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 podcast series. Who are you and who or what do you represent? Okay, so I'll go first. My name is Lisa Fletcher and um, since 2010 I've been running the Walthamstow International Film Festival which I co-founded with my other half, Fletch. And as a result of um, exhibiting short films at a time when there was no cinema in Walthamstow, um, I got accustomed to going into community organisations and um, schools to uh, attract emerging talent to put their work into our film festival. So now I guess I'm a project manager, festival director, but more, more recently um, a community engagement arts producer with all my focus on arts and community groups in Walsham Forest. Fantastic. And Esther? I'm a, a, an artist and I was an animator for about 15 years and mostly I made children's programmes. Uh, but these days I work uh, on my own work and I work in collective situations uh, making community arts projects. Um, and I met Lisa um, at the Walthamstow International Film Festival, which she organises, when I made a, a film with the community and Walthamstow with a friend of mine. Um, and uh, we, we were both had a, a lot of overlapping interests and we're very excited to work together. 
What does Leighton Stone Love's film mean to you? Okay, I'll start. Um, I act, I don't know very much about Leighton Stone Love's film until this year. Um, and it's a real opportunity for me to find out more about Leighton Stone um, and to go into a different part of the borough because I spend a lot of time in Walthamstow. Um, so I'm very excited about that. It was great to go into Avenue Road Estate, which is where the, the project is based. Um, and it's great to see what else is going on. So this is a real exploration for me. Following on from what Esther said, so I've been with Leighton Stone Love's film since its inaugural event in um, 2019. For me, I like to think it's um, a continuation of the work that I've been setting up over the past 10 years. And that's engaging with parts of each group or people who don't normally um, involve themselves in artistic practice, artistic activities. So for the first couple of years, I went into schools and did um, programmes with young people to um, give them an experience to get involved in creative practice. But I know that Leighton Stone Love's film has seminars, it has workshops, it has screenings. So, you know, what Esther and I are doing is a very small part of, you know, a, a large and well-respected festival considering it's only been going for a few years well lisa that's a lovely segue for me what will you two be contributing to lane stoneless film as esther mentioned before i first came across her work because she uh entered um we are moving which was a beautiful community produced animation that was entered into the film festival and this year because of COVID and, you know, the lockdown situation, I think um, Vilna, the producer, wanted to bring in new people, add a spark and, you know, embrace more communities as part of Leighton Stone Love's film. So Esther and I um, have been working on the animation production of a greater project that I call Avenue Memory, and we're at Avenue Memory on Instagram and um, on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So this is a community um, film production that's documenting the changes as the Avenue Road Estate, which is a large social housing estate, is going to come down, be regenerated and replaced by a mixture of private housing and... um, Uh, social housing. So, you know, we're hoping to document that regeneration, but we're also hoping to inspire young people to become creative and work on a project that maybe will inform some choices they take as they move up through education. It's also a chance to just capture some of the communities. So we're interviewing older people about their memories there. What I I was interested in in doing was placing young people's creativity in the spaces where they live so for this project particularly and we did we went into Leightonstone school uh, and ran a day where um, a group of students who were doing was it media studies Lisa yeah I think so yeah they're all year 10s and year 11s weren't they Esther yeah so they they were kind of coming to to 
the height of their, their secondary school careers. And they were brilliant, I have to say. They were they embraced everything, they listened to everything that I said, and it was like sometimes quite complicated, the instructions. And they made these amazing animations of walk cycles of their own little avatars. So they designed their own characters um, and they cut them out with all of their limbs and they made them into walk cycles. And I placed them in um, uh, spaces around uh, Leightonstone and Leighton uh, that Lisa provided. Uh, so there were all of these imaginative and amazing characters wandering through the streets um, and on top of lorries and bridges and stuff. So that's go- they're going to be integrated into the, the whole of the project. Stuart, just um, in addition to that, um, I was just going to say that um, the inspiration for um, the animation project that Esther and I put together was... You know, for, for a lot of people who work with creatives and artists, you know, it's it's very usual to be inventive, being cre- creative, be inspired. But not a lot of people, um, you know, get opportunities to participate in projects like this. Hmm. So Esther and I were thinking of spaces around Leytonstone, but we're also thinking of... Um, you know, imagining ourselves in a, a different reality, which is, you know, why animation is so good, mm. because you can literally reinvent yourself. But we we saw this as a parallel of, you know, imagining yourself after the regeneration of change in Avenue Road Estate, where a lot of these young people live. But also, you know, imagining yourself on a different career path, you know, maybe you come from a family, they're all doctors, or your mum's a nurse, and you your dad drives Tesco delivery, you know, whatever, Hmm. you might decide you're a creative person. So we were trying to inspire people to imagine themselves as different characters, but in their own setting of Leysenstone as well. That's that's a really, it's a really nice way of sort of getting people to think of themselves as creative. I know, I know someone, as someone that grew up in sort of North Manchester, not surrounded by creatives. If I'd have, if I'd have known Danny Boyle grew up in my town, it would have made a huge difference in terms of my, direction in sort of when I left school but I didn't know anything about Danny Boyle at that point so it it took a lot longer to find that thing so giving giving kids that chance to even just consider that they can be creative yeah is uh is really powerful one of the things that that always motivates me and I always try and 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 get into the projects that I run but I try not to work with people who are doing art or who think of themselves as being creative but work with with other people who would think well it might be fun to do but it's not really my area or some, anything that I can do and to get them so interested in what they're doing that they move out of their comfort zone mm. so that they might you know think well like you know I could make a cute little character or I could you know I could do this because I would like to see how it moves and do something that's really interesting and not necessarily the most beautifully produced piece of animation but is really fun or is really interesting or has a lot of insight because it's their thing. You know, mm. it's something that they've made and you can make and you can make it into a really good piece of animation. Not necessarily from a technically brilliant point of view or an artistically brilliant point of view, but from a personal point of view, you can make amazing work. No, for no for uh, one of the things that I, I remember some advice I picked up sort of later than I would have hoped was, you know, judge judge your own progress from where you started, not against, you know, the great masters. Yeah. So if you wanted to do animation and you went, Oh look! Look at Pixar. That's the standard I should be trying to achieve, and then thinking that's too overwhelming. I can't do it. Whereas I'm guessing what you're doing, you're inviting people to enjoy the process as much as the outcome, aren't you? Absolutely. Actually, this is a conversation I have with my daughter a lot at the moment, who's at school and has loads and loads of tests, and they're always 
comparing each other to, to how well they've done. And I have to keep saying to her, you know, your life is, is not a comparison. You're not a visual life, do you mm. know? Um, do the things that you enjoy and and the things that are meaningful to you and and that will be the, the thing that drives you, not as, as a comparison. What aspect or specific event are you, outside of the work you'll be doing, what aspect or specific event are you most looking forward to at Leighton Stunlow's film this year? I'm really looking forward to the Bollywood films because I know virtually nothing about them and I think they'll be so exciting and so much fun um, and so completely different from everything else. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the Bollywood films. Me too, Esther. We want to, we want to learn some dance routines, don't we? Should we do that? <laughs> and get the costume. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, do, do you know, Stuart, I know it, I'm, I'm not avoiding answering the question, but, you know, just seeing cinemas, pop-up cinemas opening in places like the Avenue Road Estate. So um, our film is going to be shown at the Nexus Centre, which is like a community hub mm. that's overseen by Sam Francis and the X7 um, Dance School. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I'm just really excited about our film being shown there and people being able to see it. But, you know, there's pop-up cinema in Langthorne Park in the open air. And I love the idea that, you know, people, you know, there are some people who will have a, have the app, they will have the programme, they will plan their visits and, um, you know, know exactly what's going on. And there are some people who will stumble across something. And I love the, um, you know, the randomness of that, because um, quite often for people who um, produce arts events in Waltham Forest, and, you know, I think we all know this, that, um, you know, you can count on really well-informed um, families and film buffs to come along and see things. But I like the idea of people stumbling across new things and, and seeing something by complete accident. You know, that's the idea that really inspires me. No, no, I think it's a strong aspect of Leighton Stoneloves' film that, uh, that you could literally go out on a walk you've maybe done a hundred times that year and find there's a pop-up screen in your way. Yeah, lovely. What is it about film that works so well as a shared experience? You know, that's a really tough question in a lot of ways, and it's a no-brainer in many others. I mean, the shared experience of watching a film and, you know, laughing at all the same places at the rest of the audience, just, um, you know, where possible when you're in a dark room and you haven't got the washing machine going on or, you know, somebody coming and talking to you or calling you in the middle of um, uh, sick. And, we, you know, um, Esther and I work with lots of young creatives. When I work with young filmmakers, I always say it's really important to show your work to a live audience and see what the, um, what the response is because you can have the most beautiful pan shot that, you know, you've planned and executed and edited beautifully. But if somebody yawns or looks at their phone or you know, talks to their colleague or partner, you know, possibly you have to um, review that. So for filmmakers, it's really important, you know, but for me as an audience men member, it's just, you know, magical to watch something in a darkened room, be it a, a short film, a feature, a series of short, you know, it's just that magical experience that's really hard to put your finger on, but you know when the lights go down. I, yeah, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? I think partly it's it's an event, even if it's something that you just stumble across. 
this is, you know, this is something which is which is an, an event and it's something which happens rather than something which is going on in the background or something that you're watching just because, you know, it's there and you want something to watch. Um, so it's 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 completely different to watching something on a television at home for that reason, that there is a sense that this is, you know, this, this is almost, uh, like a performance. Um, I think we experience things differently collectively. So even, you know, in an emotional sense, we experience things differently when we're with other people. And when you're having the same emotional experience with other people, it becomes a completely different kind of thing to just watching something on telly. It, um and especially for people that you don't know, you can feel this kind of connection with people that you wouldn't that you wouldn't feel um, with your family sitting on a sofa because you know how they're going to respond. Um, so yeah. it's it's a way of kind of building connections with people that you don't know. Um, and I think, lastly, for people who make the films, for the students who've made the films, being able to see what they've done really big on a screen with other people who are going, "Oh wow," or laughing. Or just you know, or just watching it to see what you've done up on a big screen is just so self-affirming. You know, I've done something and it's up there. is is just a brilliant thing to do. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, I have to say, I, I was coming home on the train the other night and I saw someone watching um, Spider-Man Three on their phone. On a, they signed into their Netflix account and watched it. And you know, I just, I don't see the attraction. Of that, um, you know, during lockdown, we've got used to watching big films on small screens. But I think I draw the line at, you know, watching something sitting on a commuter train. That to me is bizarre. What do you think, Esther and Stuart? Yeah, I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> to just to carry on your train example, I think it's a fast-moving train that that is unavoidable. Uh, Matt Damon was talking about this in the Sunday Times at the weekend. Funny enough, about how he sees his children watching stuff on their phone and talking and stopping and going for a bite to eat, coming back to it, which is obviously very different to how an old generation might might have enjoyed films. I think it's a kind of wind of change that I'm not sure what it's going to do for film, but I still think that when you get people in the right environment and they're able to sort of relax and watch something together with strangers often, which is where the great test is, is like, just discovering that you've got the same taste as someone you've never met or or that somebody laughed at a bit that you were like, why was that funny? And then you begin to question it in a, in a kind of learning way, not in a kind of, am I odd? But like, yeah. I need to work out what they were laughing at. That doesn't make sense to me. And then, you know, that kind of thing. Or I've, I mean, I don't know about yourselves, but I've walked out of a cinema, giving my friend my theory on what I thought of the film. And they've gone, no, no, the film was about this. I don't know what you're talking about. And you're like, oh, right. And you have to suddenly assess the last two hours of, the, of thought you've just had. How can people uh, reach you? Websites, um, social media, beyond beyond the festival. Well, on E17 Films, there's um, one section that's uh, all about the Avenue Road Estate mm-hmm. and the project that Esther and I have worked on. The animation project um, is included in that. But um, on Instagram, on Facebook, um, we're at Avenue Memory, and um, that's the whole of the Avenue Road Estate documentary project. And the animation, of course, is a really important part of that. Esther, I don't know if you want to give some contact details for you because you get involved in so many weird and wonderful projects that, you know, I'm sure people would like to follow your work. Yeah, I do loads of stuff. (laughs) And it's not all animation. 
you can reach you can get me on my website uh which is estherneslund.co.uk but it's it's spelled e-s-t-h-e-r-n-e-s-l-e-n.co.uk um and i'm on instagram uh esther underscore neslin brilliant well look well i'll put those details in the show notes people can click on them easy enough it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the britflix podcast it's a pleasure thank you very much thanks you are listening to the Leighton Stone Loves Film podcast series. Leighton Stone Loves Film returns for a third year from the 15th to the 19th of September 2021. Across four days, Leighton Stone in East London will be host to a variety of free events brought to you by local filmmakers and film organisations. Let's get back to the interviews. Who are you and who and what do you represent? We are Fourthland and we are a socially engaged art practice. Um, and through our practice, we imagine a kind of mythical place, which is Fourthland. And in this land, we create artworks in sculpture and installation and various social and ceremonial processes with diverse groups of people. And through these processes, we weave new myths between land um, and these groups in order to create a new um, feeling of, of trust and care um, that is a kind of an antidote to, to the modes of separation held in modern society. So we are basically weaving these places together and through a deeper connection to the land and ourselves as nature um yeah many things occur what does Leighton Stone Loves Film mean to you for us it's about a creative community so a lot of our practice is about creating community through the artworks and we feel that what's special about Leighton Stone Loves Film is it extends that out and really roots all the artworks in these community places so it allows us to just really feel the magic of what that means. And what specifically will you be contributing to Leighton Summers film? So we're going to be contributing a work that we've made, which is called Call to Holy Ground. And this piece we made throughout 2020 with a group of 40 elders um, from across the borough, many of whom are from all parts of the world, either migrated here um, 40 years ago or have been living in the area for over three generations. And they also are part of the community of St Andrew's Church and the Hindu temple, which is opposite Hollow Ponds. And Ever and I were working with them, listening to their stories, connections with the area, connections with faith, and particularly rituals and the relationship to nature. And throughout all of this listening, we created a new story together. And this story is the story of the grandmother who journeys into the earth with various rituals and meeting elements. And if we follow her, we'll be able to create a new scripture of the earth. So from this story, a collaborative film work was made, a meditative sound journey and a performance. And all of these elements we're going to be sharing as part of Leighton Stone's film. When you say it was found, how was it found? What, what was it about the 40 people you spoke to that, that brought you to this sort of idea to, to, to illustrate it? Yeah, so a lot of how we work is by seeing um, where shared symbols can come between groups of people. And a lot of people were talked about their connection with the land through particular rituals that they were doing in their culture. 
and others had um, talked about their mothers or this sense of mother nature. But we were really struck by the fact that they were all women and not only were they women, but that they were all elders and the eldest of who was 90. And one of the nuns who actually also formed part of this beautiful group actually offered the phrase grandmother. Okay. that we were here for the grandmother. So the grandmother became a character and we, are, we asked the community to offer fabrics um, to create a costume of her. So they all offered sacred cloths from some pilgrimages they've been on, others from their ancestors. So they were all sewn together. And then we also made a series of other props, including the earth scripture, which was symbolically hand-stitched with the stories and the symbols that the group had shared with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was performed within the film. So the work then kind of animates this story by kind of meeting different aspects of the journey of it in a way. So the film is going to be screened in St. Andrew's Church. And there's going to be two really special screenings, uh, which are also accompanied by a performance with the elders performing the story of the grandmother that then becomes into the film. And they're all going to be by candlelight. So they're going to be really magical experiences. And that's going to be on the Wednesday and Thursday. And then there's also going to be opportunities to walk through an area of Epping Forest that links the church and the temple for a meditative walk, which is um, a sound piece that was made. And all the, the songs and the sounds we're all offered by the community. So it's kind of really a collaborative piece um, that we wove together. And then there's going to be also some talks exploring the sacred aesthetic and the importance of thinking about ecological changes as a connection to the sacred ecological, which is something that we talk about a lot in the practice. So when you say practice, what's the relationship between what you're talking about and the practice? What is that? I guess because we've been working on this project for a year and a half, it's been a really long process and it's been many other things than just creating what we will be presenting for for this um, showing of it. Um, so in a way, the whole process of, of this project is almost like a culmination of things we've been doing in the practice for the last 10 years because we have been exploring this sacred ecology with many groups of people across London and in other places in the UK in order to create this deeper awareness of how we relate to each other through this sacred ecology. So now that we've done this project with this group of elders, it almost feels like a consolidation to a process that's been going on for the last 10 years, because it's almost this, the elders becomes like the council in a way, this sacred council of um, you know, we, we can come and inquire in a way. Um, inquire into their knowledge and and knowledge that we can carry on to the next generation. And also in these particular times, a knowledge that can carry a hopefulness um, in this reunion with our connection to the land. So that's in a way how it's related to the practice. I wanted to share one other thing in relation to that, because the work was originally commissioned by uh, an organization called Arts and Christianity. And it was originally to think about um, the work being an interfaith project. And what came from our beginnings was actually realizing that the creativity or this method of creating is actually a faith. 
because we're all stepping into an unknown place together. Uh, and that space of uncertainty, that liminal realm where new stories and myths are woven is actually an act of faith and how we all created that, which became unexpected kind of unravelling as we journeyed through the project. I think William Burroughs calls it the third mind. When two people get together to talk, something else comes around that if they hadn't talked, there's no way it could be generated. So I guess if you get 40 people sharing stories with you and you interacting with that, you couldn't have done that in isolation of the, of those people and they couldn't have done it in isolation of each other. So it's like it's a, it's a lovely organic thing that, that humans have a tendency to do, don't they, With, consciously or, or unconsciously. Absolutely. And we are, I like the idea of the third mind. We've, we've talked a lot about the collective imaginary and the collective subconscious. But yeah, every part needs each other, like this ecosystem to come through. And on this occasion, it was the ground mother and the earth script that came through. But we had no idea what those symbols would be at the beginning. What aspect of Lightstone Loves Film are you most looking forward to? Well, we've been, uh, as part of the practice, we've been actually working quite a lot with Turkish and Kurdish communities over the years. So when we saw that there was going to be a series of Turkish um, short films as part of the Lunar Rooms production, we were quite excited by that. And Ishik is also, she's half Turkish. Um, so that looked very exciting. And I, I think there's also something about this kind of rooting of all the creative people in the area that feels quite exciting and mm. that there's going to be kind of meandering through different things. It's almost like, well, we talked a lot about pilgrimage in our project and every day becoming like this pilgrimage, but the whole area is kind of potentizing with all these journeys of people seeking out stories and myths. And that feels quite exciting in itself. Yeah. Cause, cause a lot of people I've spoken to have, have sort of, there's, there's going out because something is scheduled, therefore you went to find it. And then there is opportunities at Lane's Lundell's Film where you could literally be going for a walk with your dog and come across a screen and suddenly you're sat watching a film. So you never intended to do it, but because of the, the presence of Lane's Lundell's Film, you suddenly engage with it. Yeah, which is quite nice because you, you get lost and then found somewhere else. What, why does film work best, do you think, as a, as a shared experience? I think um, film in itself is... It's never a kind of solitary act. It's a collective act that involves many people. And I think also in this day and age where we're having quite a rapid pace of images coming in and out in our everyday uh, environments, there's something to be said about the ceremonial quality and the collective presence that everyone coming to a space and being together receiving something in the collective subconscious in a way. There's something... Um, that is just more, much more powerful about film when it's experienced in that way. And once a film, because a film is a very open thing, and once it's, in a way, being presented to its audience, it kind of completes its cycle. But without that gesture, it it's almost remains half-finished in a way. So there's something very beautiful about that completion with the public and that all being a shared experience. What's nice about having films in unexpected places is it allows that kind of magic of that shared experience to be kind of dwelled within a little bit more and people to meet each other as part of it. So you might not necessarily always talk to somebody that you met in cinema, but if you're, if you're watching that screen outside or you're kind of gathering in an unexpected place, it almost can create these kind of families or communities around that sense of presence that Eva's just talked about, which 
feels quite exciting and really echoes ideas with the work that we've created. Outside of Langston Love's film, how can people find out more about Forfland? Well, we have a, an Instagram page, which is just Forfland. Um, and we also have a, a website, which is kind of like a labyrinthic world of all of these different projects we've been um, doing over the years. So there's an invitation to, to visit Forfland through those online platforms. Um, and we're also delivering a series of workshops in the autumn and winter, um, which will all be to do with our book that is coming out next year. And it's kind of, um, again, a culmination of this 10-year practice. Um, and we'll be sending out invitations for people to join those experimental reading sessions um, throughout winter. So that's a good way of getting involved. What's, what's the book called? The book is called Hand of the Sky, Land of the Sea. And it will really be a journey of where these symbols come from when working with many groups of people and with the land and how we can, as artists and creatives, kind of be in service to them. So as Eva said at the beginning, to create these hopeful messages um, for the for society and the culture. So each of the groups will be themed on one of the one of the chapters of the book. Brilliant. Well, look, it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving your time on the Britflix podcast. Thank you. <laughs> you are listening to the Leighton Stone Loves Film podcast series. Leighton Stone Loves Film returns for a third year from the 15th to the 19th of September 2021. Across four days, Leighton Stone in East London will be host to a variety of free events brought to you by local filmmakers and film organisations. Let's get back to the interviews. Who are you and who or what do you represent? My name's Richard Clark and I represent Radiant Circus, which is a website dedicated to alternative screen culture in London. And how did that get started? Radiant Circus started when I was a new arrival in London about three and a half, four years ago. Okay. And as a passionate fan of independent and alternate cinema, I couldn't find an easy way of working out what was on. It was an endless trawl of numerous websites and blogs and email streams and everything else. And I just thought, why don't I try and pull some of this together? So Radiant Circus literally started with me compiling, I think there were 13 events I listed in my first ever post back in 2017. Mm. Um, and I'm now listing several hundred events a week. So it's kind of grown considerably as I've been, but basically still the same principle applies. It's me blogging my way around London's independent cinema scene, finding what's on, finding what I like the look of, and trying to share that with as wide an audience as possible. And can you give us some examples of the kind of independent scene that you're you're shining a light on well it, i i i'm deliberately broad in my coverage so of course i look at what's on at the bfi or what's on at the prince charles or what some of the big film festivals are yeah. showing but my personal passion is really people who are doing it for themselves. So I talk about DIY screen culture a lot. And that's everything from community film clubs who've been running in their boroughs in London for decades, some of them, all the way through to new pop-ups and startups and uh, student curators showing films public for the, publicly for the first time, or kind of niche cinema clubs such as um, science fiction theatre um, and, and others who really show their passion and bring their passion to the films that they project. What does Leighton Stone Lust film mean to you? 
Well, it's kind of like a really glorious example of everything I love. <laughs> it's about, um, it's about. I mean, the, the, the cliche would be to say it's cinema for the people, by the people, but that isn't a cliche because it's so essential, um, particularly when the mainstream cinema experience has become so um, automated, um, both in terms of how, how mainstream multiplexes work, but also to some extent in relation to the content. And I think there's nothing more exciting to me than being in a room full of people I don't know with someone sharing the thing that they're most passionate about, whether that's short film, uh, science fiction, horror, um, um, queer cinema, whatever the coverage, whatever the focus of their interest is. I just really love someone shining a light quite literally on a wall with the things that they're passionate about. Um, and that tends to be how I piece together my cinema going. It's about following people and going to see things that I might never have chosen myself just because someone has chosen to pitch something and project something that really speaks to them and their audience and their community. And Latest in Love Film is that in, in, in a festival. It's all about people coming together to share the things they're passionate about and finding the audiences who care similarly about that content. What that you're passionate about are you going to be sharing with Leighton Stoneland's film? Well, I've got two projects. The, the first one is called Wunderkammer, and it's a networking and showcasing event for all of London's alternative cinema exhibitors. Um, so it takes place on the 17th of September at the Philly Brook in the evening. And we've got four wonderful speakers lined up to talk about significant standout screen projects that, that have happened in the last 18 months. And there has been a lot, despite the pandemic, mm. that's really significant coming back through onto our cinema screens with this emphasis upon DIY, diverse and distinctive cinema, which is really kind of like, I guess, the DNA of the stuff that I'm interested in. But there's also plenty of opportunity for people to come along and network themselves. So we've got open mic networking slots. So anyone who creates their own independent cinema or creates content around cinema, whether they're a podcaster or a blogger or a, or a vlogger even, anyone who really wants to come along and be connected into that alternative screen culture and community in London is very, very welcome to come along to Wunderkammer. And then at the end of the night, there'll be a surprise feature film. And I'm promising everyone that I won't reveal what that is until the night. I will not press you for it. <laughs> I'm terrible with secrets. So it's possibly the biggest challenge I've ever given myself, but I'm sticking to my guns. Indeed, and so you should. And what's the second event you're involved with? The second event is an experiment, really, with my friends at the Last Frame Film Club who are running a queer film fest over Leighton Stone Love's weekend over the whole weekend. Mm. And we're combining our efforts to do something that we have both always wanted to do, and that's to show uh, horror films to a queer audience. So we've got a double bill of horror films that we're calling Bite Me. Uh, they're two vampire movies, The Hunger and A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Um, and not only are we hoping that there'll be a wonderful queer space for anyone who loves horror films of any kind of um, flavour, really, because we're interested in seeing if this could be the first of many events of, its, of, of a similar kind. So it's a really relaxed friendly community space on Sunday afternoon, the 19th of September, again at the Philippe Brook. We've got gorgeous, comfortable beanbag seating for a long, leisurely double bill of two brilliant vampire movies. But in between them, we want to talk to people about their favourite horror films, what they would like to see from a queer horror space and what kind of programming we could play with in the future that they might want to come back for or even be part of helping us to, to create. Interestingly, I did a podcast with a, with a, with a fellow Leighton Stoner about five great modern themes in queer horror or five, sorry, five queer horror, five queer themes in modern horror as a, as a show. And it was, uh, 
it was really interesting to talk about horror films from from a from a specific specific perspective, as opposed to I mean, not to be too to be general about it, I'm a straight white guy, and he was telling me about his experience of watching horror films and how you look for the subtext as much as anything else. And then as he's grown up, the subtext has become the text. And that's been the great advance for him as a genre film fan. Yeah, but I, th- I think it also raises some really fascinating questions about how we see ourselves on screen and how other people show mm. um, ourselves back to us. Um, and one of the things that we're keen to do with our with our queer horror programming is actually say, you know, we're actually interested in a, in a wide range of horror films, whether they have queer characters or queer th- themes or queer subtext or not. Really, about it's about the space because often we we find looking back on our own past as horror fans that films that don't really ever make the kind of queer academic studies or ever make it to a queer horror podcast are some of the films that we love the most because they've somehow connected with us. Um, so our emphasis with, with with Bite Me and the other films that we want to show in the future is really about that queer community space to come and just relax and kick back and enjoy watching films together. But also, I guess the horror angle comes from saying that there's actually quite a lot of... Um, uh, Queer film programming can become quite stereotypical and it's often in contemporary screen culture about the issue of the day dramas and and quite beautifully also about increasing the diversity of, of what we understand to be lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer, intersex, lived experience. So queer films from around the world. But they are, they're often very well behaved. <laughs> and I have, a, have a, um, a separate blogging life where I blog about queer horror films called Token Homo. And I talk about badly behaved films for impolite queers. Because I kind of like this idea that we can live our own revolution too, where we can indulge and enjoy films that other people might convince us are bad for us, but actually speak to our inner rebel in some deep and nurturing way. And that's why I love horror films, because they kind of shake things up. If horror isn't transgressive, it isn't really doing its job as a genre, to my mind. Absolutely. So you end up in this really weird trope planning for a festival with a wide audience and free open ticketing where we're risk assessing horror films to try and make sure, you know, very fairly and understandably that people aren't upset by some of the content that that we would see in them. But we would also strongly advocate for the fact that that's purely the point of coming to see a horror film. True, true, (laughs) true. To (laughs) To have that carnival experience where your world is turned upside down for a while. And it is only a film. You will walk out safe and sound afterwards, we promise. Maybe focus this more on your kind of your love of the DIY sort of mm. exhibition exhibition mm. experience. What what is it about film that works so well when it's a shared experience? And and then thinking more about and I think just maybe touch on the, what you think is the importance of DIY exhibition space. Film works for me as a shared experience because I mean, well, because that's what cinema is all about. Is if film is the object or the artifact that can sit on a shelf or on a disk drive um, forever. Hmm. Uh, cinema is the actual live experience of seeing something in a room full of strangers. And it really, t- for me, totally transforms the experience of seeing a film. And it's not just all the studies that have been done that show biologically as a species, when we're in a sh- shared space, we laugh more, we scream more, we feel more. There's something about the collective experience that amplifies our emotional response to cinema. 
But it's what happens in this space where you suddenly find yourself feeling connected to all of the people around you. And for me, I always describe cinema as the thing that happens between the projector bulb and the screen. It's that communal shared space that's so thrilling, so unpredictable, um, so rewarding, so rich, so, so welcoming at times. And why I love um, the DIY side of film exhibiting is that you're stepping into a space that someone has created about their passion. And it's a bit like going to someone's street food pop-up and eating the, the street food of their home country that they're bringing to the streets of London to share for the first time. Mm. It really gives you a really deep, rich immersion into how to... I mean, how to see the world through other people's eyes, but also what you might not have seen with your own eyes, with your travels through the world. And so when I'm going to a film club like Filipino showing classic and contemporary Filipino film, I've not been to the Philippines. Anna, the curator, is of a Philippine heritage, and she brings such insight into showing films that I could pick off the DVD library shelf and watch for myself. But it has so much more context and so much more meaning when someone is opening up their heritage, their passion and their enthusiasm and saying, come and play, see what you make of it. This, they might share some things that they think about it, but also the offer is there to experience things in your way and hopefully to in, 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 indulge in discussion afterwards where that part of screen culture really comes alive, where we talk about what we saw in the film, what we took out of the film, what we were confused by in the film, that shared space to talk about the cinema that we're experiencing is also one of the things that I love and write about a lot at Radiant Circus. I think film is, I mean, a bit like going to a gig, I suppose, is one of the things that when we do it with with people we know, we, we, we're sort of obligated to talk about it because we've got, we've got we've yeah. all got individual opinions and it's down to sharing your opinions because everything's so subjective that you begin to either evolve your own response or change it even. You, you learn something you didn't yes. see and then suddenly you're like, oh, right, okay, that film was about this. Absolutely. And, and there, are, there are many, many exhibitors across London who use that post-film discussion as a way of really just doing just that. And particularly um, open, helping people re-examine the film experience that they've just had, particularly if they've not... I mean, I often go to the cinema on my own because I'm travelling all the way across London trying to find out what's on and see someone new and see something new. Mm. So so being, being invited into a space to talk about a film afterwards, I find is just one of those... It's like a... It's a very generous act. It's a very welcoming act. And it's a very um, communal act um, where we can talk about our experience. There's lots of bashing of things like Q&As and stuff that happens on the internet where people say yeah, it's awful. Or sometimes the director's awful. Sometimes the host's awful. Sometimes the audience you know, asks embarrassing questions. But I like to see through those things and actually really see that the Q&A or the discussion or the salon or whatever it is that programmed after the film is a really vibrant and valuable space for an audience to broaden their screen horizons and to, to learn more and potentially as a consequence of that, see more. And that's one of the big themes that I have at Regent Circus. It's about encouraging people to discover more film. And you only get the confidence to discover more film by seeing it, by talking about it, by reflecting it, and then finding the next thing that might come from it or might be in total contrast from it. But that's, for me, it's the absolute fun of living in a city like London where you can roam across all the boroughs and find completely different cinema happening in completely different spaces with completely different content and audiences and it's a real buzz to travel I'll put a link in the show notes but do you want to tell people how they can find Radiant Circus if they want to get more information about what is indeed going on beyond Leighton Stonewall's film 
Yes, Radiant Circus exists at radiantcircus.com. Um, and there you can find all of my daily, weekly and monthly roundups of what's showing across London. Um, you can also, if you wish to, subscribe to join us at Patreon, where our patrons are doing two things. They're helping me carry on blogging about film and listing film content in London. But we've also used a new initiative, launched a new initiative called Revive the Dark, where a percentage of monthly subscriptions from my patrons are now going to sponsor more independent film events across London. Um, so 40% of every, per, every subscriber's monthly fees goes into an exhibitor fund. And we're inviting DIY exhibitors to come and pitch for support so we can help them return to projecting in this really difficult time after the cinema shutdown and as the pandemic endures. So as a patron at patreon.com radiant forward slash Radiant Circus, you'll find all the information about our subscription. But other than that, you can very simply follow us on social media at Radiant Circus. Um, and uh, then we also have a newsletter that you can sign up from our website. So lots of ways for people to stay looped on what's happening in London's alternative cinema scene. Brilliant. Well, it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure, Stuart. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode of Leighton Stone Loves Film. 2021 podcast series if you've got time please remember to rate review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts thank you for listening Leighton Stone Loves Film is produced by The Barbican in partnership with local residents and organisations and is commissioned by the London Borough of Waltham Forest supported by Arts Council England At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Listener.